good friends. Welcome to Now with Fiona, the podcast where we explore rather direct questions about the LGBTQ community that many people are just too afraid to ask. Hello, my lovely listener. It's me, your Auntie Fiona. I have a feeling that the following conversation is going to be the most titillating of the season. I have palpitations when I just even think about talking to today's guest. His name is Zachary Zane. Zachary is a Brooklyn-based columnist, speaker, activist, and sex expert whose work focuses on sexuality, lifestyle, and culture. Dad, please brace yourself for this chat. Currently, Zachary has a weekly sex advice column at Men's Health titled Sexplain It, which I freaking love because I'm so tired of people not talking about sex. Come on, we live in a world where sex is used to sell stuff, but people are too ashamed to talk about their fantasies and real life experiences. Well, not Zachary. He answers a diverse range of questions pertaining to masculinity, ethical non-monogamy, sexual insecurities, and the LGBTQ community, and shares his own lived sex experiences with his Twitter followers, which is where I found Zachary and felt compelled to reach out. Zachary's book, Boy Slut, a memoir and manifesto is out May 9th, 2023. But fear not, dear listener, you can pre-order it now on his website at ZacharyZane.com. In the book, Zachary addresses the societal shame we put on people for sex and sexualities. And through the lens of his bisexuality and self-described sluttiness, he breaks down how all of this negatively impacts the sex and relationships in our lives. He also empowers us on how to unlearn these harmful entrenched messages. When not writing, speaking or thinking about sex, Zachary is likely getting some, usually in a New York sports club sauna with a married quote unquote straight man. The most important labels Zachary applies for himself are bisexual, queer, and solo polyamorous. And without further ado, please welcome Zachary Zane. <laughs> I think that was the most thorough introduction I've ever received in my entire life. Thank you. Loved it. It was rather animated, wasn't it? <laughs> I know, it was fabulous. Thank you so much. I think when you have an English accent, it kind of helps like get away with stuff. Like I love articulating these like slutty words and sex words, and then I could just say it with English accent and you know get away with it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, thank you. I'm going to get straight into, sorry, no pun intended. I'm going to move forward into the cheeky question. And this one is extra special because it's not just a chapter title. It's actually the title of the book. So big job here, <laughs> Zachary. So the question is, are bisexuals just greedy? The good ones are. <laughs> that is my argument here. I know, but of course, I understand the stereotype that bisexuals are just greedy. And I think one thing that's so important when we distinguish between, you know, stereotypes that bisexuals face are the ones that like are inherently bad and the ones that like society is deemed bad. And here's what I mean like this. This idea that we are, let's say, slutty or ethically non-monogamous, there's nothing wrong with that. Correct. Like the idea that you're a cheater, though, and you're a liar, there is something wrong with that. Mm -hmm. But really making that distinction between like, okay, well, what's wrong with wanting it all? Let's say you're someone who is not satisfied just dating one person of one gender, but you communicate that you're in a happy polyamorous relationship. All your partners are happy. If you want to call that greedy, so be it. But as long as you're doing so ethically, there's nothing wrong with being greedy. And I find it fascinating that this label gets put upon the bi community. Whereas in fact, like in my book, I break down that sexual orientation can be a combination of identity, attraction and behavior. 
And people of any sexual orientation have an identity, attraction, and behavior. And the behavior, let's say, is the greediness or the sluttiness or, you know, or, or the sexual activity. But people of any orientation can have those same behaviors. And in fact, some bisexual people can be asexual and you know, have zero to little sexual attraction towards other people. It's interesting to me that it's the bi community gets that. Haven't you seen people of other orientations also express like sluttiness or greediness or non-monogamy, poly? Yeah, of course. You know, it's not something that just pertains to bisexual or pansexual or fluid people. Anyone, anyone, if you play your cards right, can be a slut. You know what I mean? This idea that it's a higher prevalence among bisexual people, you know, becomes the issue. And I think it's a part of them, bisexuals and women are often hypersexualized. Mm -hmm. Bisexual men are often deemed cheaters or they're on the DL or they're just in denial about being gay. And I think these things are kind of different from the stereotypes that straight and gay or monosexual people experience. Anyone could be all of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's nothing wrong in that at all. Yeah. I agree with you. Like it's not, it's a negative. You know, I, I say in mine, it's like, I'm no more greedy than my straight siblings, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. It's not tied to my identity. So tell us more about your coming out experience. Um, I think you write about it in your book, Voicelet, right? Like, how did you come to realize that you were bisexual? I do. It took me a while to get there. There were always gay rumors about me because I was more effeminate. I liked musical theater. I definitely had more traditionally gay mannerisms, and I was called a faggot and things like that in high school. Mm -hmm. It also was, you know, the late 90s and early 2000s. Everyone was calling everyone that's so gay and using it as a pejorative. Yeah. But the thing is, I knew I liked and loved women. And the like women I dated and had sex with in high school, they weren't beards. These are people I really loved. So I, I just managed to suppress my attraction to men. So it's like when I was hanging out with the guys and we were talking about like how hot we found girls, I wasn't lying about that. That was all truthful. So in a way, it was like, I think if I was like just gay, then all those things would have been lies, but they weren't for me. But I went to college and I purposely went to a college 3,000 miles away from where I grew up. So I'm just completely removed from my family and community and everything so I could explore and do all that stuff. And my first week of college, I hooked up with this guy, decided I was going to do it. I had to get hammered in order to do it. I was so nervous. I ended up vomiting in the middle of him blowing me. Oh. Like I had to like leave and excuse myself. And he was like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm fine. <laughs> and I remember it. So I, I woke up the next morning, extremely hungover. And I expected to have this like light bulb moment. I expected my lips to touch his and immediately think like, oh, I am gay. All the attractions and love I've had towards women, that was fake. This is what true love is. This is what attraction and yearning and desire is. Yeah. Or I expected to have the opposite. I'm not gay. I did not like this. This was not enjoyable. I'm definitely straight. Yeah. And then when neither happened, probably because I was, you know, so drunk and so nervous, I was like, well, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I had put so much pressure on this one moment to have everything figured out. And I mm -hmm. left feeling even more confused. But I spoke to a lot of my gay friends. Yeah. I had a sense, like I knew in some way or another whether I really liked it. So I'm like, you know what? Maybe I'm not. Yeah. And, and I just want to be clear at this time, like bisexuality didn't seem real. Right. Like it wasn't an option. There was no bisexual male visibility in the media. Everyone always assumed for men, it was a stepping stone to coming out as gay. And I remember like sophomore year Googling bisexual guys to see 
what's going on? Yeah. Literally the only things that came up were like studies about bi men having HIV or spreading HIV. That was it. Yeah. But after that first hookup, I ended up kept on getting drunk and hooking up with guys like repeatedly. And I'm like, well, that that's pretty gay. <laughs> what's going on with this? But I, I managed to really rationalize it, compartmentalize it and all of that type of stuff. And the thing is like, because bisexuality wasn't spoken about the same way and my male bisexuality wasn't a thing, quote unquote, like even though I am arrogant and self-centered, I, I wasn't delusional. I didn't think I was the only <laughs> bi man in the entire world because that's how it felt. Right. And every bi guy I knew at college who claimed they were bi came out as gay a month later. It was always that stepping stone. So I'm like, well, I kept on being like gay or straight are the only options and I don't seem like either. After college, I'm talking to my brother. I remember we were getting lunch and I was kind of sharing a little bit of my confusion. He goes, Zach, I understand why you like experimented with men. I did too. So did your other brother. Like we're much more feminine and we had these gay rumors. It makes sense. We'd be open to exploring. But you know, I, I tried once or twice. Your other brother tried once and hated it. You've been exploring, experimenting now for five years with like dozens of men. Like at some point, that's not experimenting. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, when I first came out as lesbian, because I was straight, quote unquote, until I was 27-ish, and I first came out as a lesbian because I didn't even think about being bi. And my mom said to my best friend at the time, oh, Fiona will try anything once. And I said, I'll try it once and twice if I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> so you just have to keep trying and trying and trying to see if it fits. Anyways, carry on. No, it's fine. I, I tried 30 times. So it was very difficult for me to like kind of logically argue against him. I'm like, yeah, that's weird. So I ended up seeing an LGBT affirming therapist. I specifically sought him out. Yeah. And my first session, I really spoke about how confused I was. I thought I was gay, thought I was straight, what's going on. And my second session, I kind of started the same monologue again, and he interrupted yeah. me. And he goes, Zach, in therapy, when we talk about like someone being confused, that actually is like a term in like a therapeutic sense when discussing LGBTQ identity. You don't sound confused. You sound very clearly bisexual. Is there something I'm missing? Yeah. And I said, that doesn't exist in men. And he replied, Zach, you're too smart to think that. So he kind of almost like gave me permission to be bisexual and said it was a valid orientation. And not only is it a valid orientation, it is so clearly you. But even after that, for a while, I thought I was like bi-sexual and heteroromantic, meaning I am sexually attracted to all genders, but I could only date women yeah. and like fall in love and have a romantic relationship with women. I learned that that was not true. That was just kind of just took a little bit longer to realize that like, no, I'm bisexual in every kind of sense of the word that I am physically, emotionally, romantically, spiritually attracted to all genders. This all started... And well, I guess I graduated college 2013 is like when I first saw a therapist, I kind of admitted I was bi to myself end of 2013, early 2014, I guess probably early 2014, came out to my parents end of 2014, and then started publicly kind of told the world like uh, April of 2015. That's kind of my timeline there. Yeah. What was your parents reaction? Like, so for my dad, I remember when I was a teenager, he said to me, I can understand men being gay and I can understand women being lesbians, but I think bisexuals are just greedy. 
which is where this like whole title comes from. That was confusing to me because I didn't even think about my own sexual orientation. I just thought I was straight. And so then, of course, you know, I came out as gay. Like you, I didn't even consider the B because we just don't see the B. Absolutely. And then eventually I realized, oh, wow, I'm attracted to people of, you know, of any gender. Oh, there's a B in LGBT. And then it came out like that. But all along, all, all through my coming out events, as it were, or periods of my life, been very lucky in that when I came out as bisexual, my dad said, oh, that makes more sense, <laughs> which he couldn't quite believe that I would just be gay. <laughs> you know? So what was your experience like with your parents? I actually didn't plan on coming out to them, but I was home for Thanksgiving one year and we were out to lunch, the three of us. And like they knew I was very involved. I had a lot of gay friends. I went out to gay bars. I never lied about that. But my dad kind of was being pushier in a way than he usually is not with stuff like this. He's very pushy in general, but not usually with stuff like this where he was like, oh, like you go to a lot of gay bars. And I'm like, yes, where is this going? And he's like, do you guys flirt with you? I'm like, yeah, of course they do. Like it's a, it's a gay bar and I'm a good looking dude. He's like, do you have trouble meeting like women? Because I feel like you only go to gay bars and he was pushing in a way where I was visibly uncomfortable, but he was trying to get me to come out, essentially. Yeah. And, you know, I've had no problem lying to my parents for years, <laughs> you know, since I first started drinking at 16 and getting hammered on the weekends. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. for some reason, I just like I started freezing and stuttering and like nothing could come to mind. I said, well, I'm, I'm actually bisexual. And they're like, and he's like, yeah, I figured something, which is why I was kind of drawing this out of you and my parents were, were very accepting of it and they're like who, who else in the family knows and my mom was more hurt that they they were some of the last to know so it's like my brothers knew my gay uncles knew my mom's brothers knew my like sister-in-law cousin so you know they were like the seventh person in the family to learn yeah. and when they kind of learned that my mom was like why didn't you like tell us sooner we could have helped and I'm like, I don't think you could have helped. I really wanted to have it figured out before I told you. I didn't want to be bisexual and then gay or for you to ask any follow-up question of, so are you going to marry a man? Are you going to marry a woman? Are you going to have kids? Does that mean you're open? I just didn't know. I, I didn't have answers to these questions and I just didn't want to deal with it. And I was like, I, I just really wasn't, I just thought it'd be easier if I was gay and you would just know and believe that that'd make more sense. I just knew bisexuality was kind of new to you and it was obviously new to me. Mm. And my parents were like, no, like this makes sense for you. Mm -hmm. Like this actually checks out very nicely given your personality, Aww. whatever it is. They're like, no, this, this checks out. It's amazing how I, I think about how incredible, incredibly nervous I was to tell them mm. like hey I'd not intend on telling them but like how my heart literally sunk and I and I came from a supportive family I came from liberal Jewish household in Los Angeles like a very accepting family and still I think about how nervous I was and I can't like imagine when you have a conservative upbringing and you know your parents are homophobic like what their response is going to be like how nervous you are I was nervous telling some of the most accepting people I know really thinking the response is going to be unconditionally positive. And still, yeah. I was like on the cusp of a panic attack. So I, I really have a lot of sympathy towards people who have to come out to a much, much tougher environment. Yeah. What about your reception within the LGBTQ plus community? Because when I came out as bi, I found it harder than coming out 
is gay because now I felt like I had the judgment of the lesbians that don't want to go anywhere near you because they think you're going to leave you for a man anyway. You know, like big stereotypes and lumps right here, right? Gay men, it wasn't quite so much of a problem, but I think that it was so much harder to be accepted within the community as a bi person, even though we're 57% of the community, than it was to come out as lesbian. It seems that men who are bisexual are less visible in media and in society in general than even bi women. So what is your experience as a bi man living within the LGBTQ plus community? I mean, initially it sucked. We've started to see a lot more bi visibility. I started coming out, you know, in 2014 to people. So it's been eight years, I guess. You know, I think a lot has changed in these eight years. More people are identifying as bi than ever before. Not because any attractions have changed, but just because they're more open to accepting and embracing the label. Yeah. But I think the response I got from a lot of gay men was just very condescending. It was like, oh, honey, I was bi too. You'll get there. You'll be gay soon once you realize it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, I don't want to see you again. This sucks. And like women, straight women didn't want to date me or they'd ghost me or they were just too intimidated. They were too insecure. They believed bisexual stereotypes. And it was really frustrating because I thought, you know, all the hard work was done. Once I finally embraced coming out as bisexual, I thought my life would get easier and I'd be, you know, welcomed with open arms. And all of a sudden that didn't happen. I didn't feel accepted by gay people. I didn't feel accepted by straight people. And that was very disheartening. But I really worked to create my own bisexual community. I throw bi-specific events for bi men. Like I throw sex parties for bi men, but I also write for bi men, mm-hmm. lead meetups and groups and all of this stuff. So I've really worked towards creating a community. And now in my sex positive Brooklyn bubble, you know what I mean? Like everyone's bi. All my friends are bi. All my partners are bi. And it's awesome. And I'm loved. And this part of me that people didn't want to date me for, now people are so enthusiastic and borderline fetishizing, which I love, of me for being bi. You know what I mean? They, they love that. Yeah. But like, I really sought out this space and created it for myself because it did not exist. And, and I wanted it so desperately. I wanted this community so desperately. So like, it was out of necessity that I did this because I just didn't see anything else there for me. Yeah, I love it. You created the solution <laughs> rather than looking for it. You made it. I did. I really admire that. Can you explain to my dad what solo polyamory is, please? (laughs) Sure. So much of polyamory and other poly activists and educators disagree with me, but I feel like a lot of it is a matter of semantics Mm -hmm. because everyone just kind of defines something slightly different with that caveat being like, oh, this is kind of how I personally am the one who describes solo polyamorous. But the idea for me is that the last many years, I've had multiple primary partners. Yeah. Like over the years. So it's someone who you think of as that main person in your life. And then being polyamorous, I might have like secondary partners. I don't like the hierarchy, but just it's easier to describe in that way. Mm-hmm. And now, essentially, I'm not looking for any primary partners. The way people do it is like, I'm my own primary partner. Mm. I'm still looking to have romantic relationships with people and meaningful relationships with people, but it's not going to be in the way that you think of a wife or boyfriend or girlfriend or that primary partner. It's going to be someone who I really do care about, but in terms of like time and effort and commitment, 
it's really for me a way to tell the people I'm dating, this is not going to move into a relationship escalator type of situation. It's not going to be we're going to move in together. I'm going to say I love you after four months. We're going to get engaged and have a kid and move into a starter home. And that's not what it's about. Yeah. So it's just kind of a way to convey for me what I'm able to give my partners right now. Yeah. And so if they are looking for that primary person, if they're looking for that love of their life that they do everything together with, that person's not going to be me. Yeah. And a lot of those things are societal expectations, aren't they? Where we kind of naturally get onto that conveyor belt and just think, okay, this is what I'm meant to do. And then you get to a point where you might realize, oh, you know, am I doing that because I really want to do that? Or am I doing that because that's what's been put upon me? Absolutely. How did you get to that realization? I think a part of it was honestly being bisexual. All of a sudden, I existed outside traditional expectations and norms of relationships. And then a part of that was, you know, I started dating men and we don't have the, there's no women in the relationship. And so like, we we couldn't even get married. So how can we aspire to marriage? We existed in these different paradigms, I exist outside of that. And so because of my bisexuality, I no longer had this like, well, I I don't have to be straight. I I can be bi. I can also choose whatever relationship that I want to have. Do you talk about that in your book? Oh yeah. There's so much more to that in the book. I have a whole two chapters about polyamory actually, because that was so long, the first chapter, I'm like, okay, I got to break this up. Did you read The Ethical Slut like a few years ago? I read it many years ago. I mean, it's probably worth a reread, though I know it's a little bit outdated at this point, but I think so. it was very helpful when I read it however long ago. Yeah. But even the second edition, like I came across The Ethical Slut, it was like a year before the pandemic, because I've only really ever had monogamous versions of relationships. I haven't been ever poly. But I'm always like open to learning more about relationships and like testing as to what really works for me. I'm actually dating myself for a year now where I'm only going to do everything by myself and no one else. And so we're going to see how that goes because I'm only like 23 days into this. All right, let's see. Yeah, we'll see what it looks like in another 11 months. But I really want to ask you, like in the book, though, you break down how shame negatively impact sex and relationships and you're empowering people on how to unlearn these harmful messages. Do you have one or two things you can say about that as to how you would advise people to get over shame and the negativity that comes with stigma and sex? Obviously getting to therapy. I always hate when people ask me advice. I'm like, like you got to talk a lot of this stuff out, find the root of your shame. (laughs) But I think it's very helpful to understand that shame is usually a means to control. You know, it's a very smart thing that, you know, conservatives shame gays in order to try to manipulate their behavior. We slut shame in order to try to change the behavior of women. And that way they're not free independent thinkers and allowed to do what they want. And they have to be tethered to a man. We shame people for not working as hard as they should. And that's a genius thing that capitalism did. You know what I mean? Like that, that is just, yeah. we're indoctrinated with capitalism that if we're not working all the time, we should feel shame for it. And that's a way to control our behavior and to make sure that we're constantly cogs in the machine and working. So shame is always a tool used by someone in control or by some ideology to make you feel bad and to change your behavior. Yeah. So I think if you can really look at what those larger societal structures are that are trying to tell you that you should feel shame for it and you break down what that is, that can help you not feel shame the same way. Mm -hmm. Well, let's get to your Lionheart story. 
I consider Lionhearts to be people showing kindness and courage. Can you give me a story of when you've witnessed or experienced somebody giving kindness and courage within the LGBTQ plus community? Like, why am I struggling? This shouldn't be that hard. Like all small acts of niceness and courage and happen daily. But for some reason, I just want a compelling story here. So give, give me give me a moment. It can be related to like any of your sexcapades, if you call them that. Like I just saw that <laughs> I just read your article on men's health. <laughs> oh God, which one? I'm always nervous when people say, oh, I read your article. I'm like, fuck, which one? Oh, no, joining the Mile High Club. That was awesome. With Ryan Keeley. That was a fun one. Was there kindness and courage there? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know if that constitutes kindness and courage. Asking a porn star to be like, hey, do you want to have sex with me on a plane? <laughs> courage on my behalf and kindness on her behalf. <laughs> I think that's what it is. It's take me courage, her kindness. Did you just ask her? Yeah, essentially, yeah. We've been friends for about half a year and had never hooked up. Just a combination of like timing and also she does it for work. You know what I mean? She's not usually out and about doing this. But I'm like, hey. And she was like, yeah, this sounds really fun. It's fun. Okay. Hold on. LGBT. Oh, I will say something recently about, I think, just uh, courage and kindness. I guess within my family, among everything, my cousin recently who came out as gay kind of re-came out as bi Mm. now that she's dating a man and she hadn't for many, many years. I knew, like, I don't know, I, I feel like that's a courageous thing to kind of go back to it. I mean, that's what you did. And I, I didn't necessarily say that was courageous with you, but I think it is. I think knowing how she definitely had some of her female friends ostracize her and be confused and kind of be shitty to her, her lesbian friends. But she, you know, she still did it. She still followed her heart. And I do think that is a courageous act in a way that we often don't necessarily think of it as being one. But I, ref- I definitely think it's, it is. Yeah, no, I think coming out is always a courageous act. Yeah. For sure. What about, you were saying earlier about how you were nervous about coming out to your family and, and yet they're, you know, very accepting. Do you ever get nervous about your family seeing your articles and like all the work you do? I, we have a, uns, not an unspoken, sorry, we have a very spoken agreement <laughs> that like my parents only read what I send them. My mom initially had a Google alert for me and she was getting all this shit. And she's like, what? I'm like, why did you have a Google? She's like, I was just trying to support you. I'm like, no. So, you know, I read a piece for New York Times or Rolling Stone or Washington Post. And those are more like critical thought pieces on like culture and identity. I send that to my mom. I don't need her reading all my raunchy stories. Although with the book, it's going to be, I'm really going to have to go home and like cut out chapters and be like, here's the book you may enjoy now. Like, I think that just might be too tempting (laughs) <laughs> yes too tempting i know my my poor father too like i think i have i told you the dedication of my book <laughs> it says for dad please just skip the parts where i talk about blowjobs yeah i love that i love that that's so cute but then my dad wrote the afterword oh that's cute <laughs> and so i just like write to dad in the book so i'll be like p.s dad shut your eyes you know and all that kind of stuff I definitely have one chapter in particular where I say, like, on the beginning, I'm like, mom and dad, let's go ahead and skip this one. There's there's the one where I talk about, like, specifically my kinks and my niche kinks, and I do that to help yeah. remove sexual shame. So I'm talking about the more extreme things I'm into that, like, in general, I have no desire to necessarily share all of this with the entire world, but I kind of have to practice what I preach a little bit when I'm saying, like, you need to embrace your kinks right. and be able to feel comfortable sharing it. I feel comfortable sharing it with my partners. Again, now I'm sharing it with the entire fucking world, but I have to take a taste of my own medicine. If I didn't feel comfortable 
sharing it with the world, how can I expect other people to share it with their partners and loved ones too? So again, wouldn't necessarily need my mom to read about that, but the rest of the world, I guess they can. Yeah. I find it a difficult line to walk sometimes because on the one hand, I want to be completely open and transparent and talk about these things, but then I don't want to be shut down or, you know, not get a distribution or not get picked up because I am using those words. So I just end up saying it anyway. And like the whole blowjob thing is an example of how in the introduction I write, when I first came out as gay, I excitedly told friends, yes, I'm never going to have to give a blowjob again. And then when I realized that I was bi, I was like, shit, am I going to have to give blowjobs again? And then I thought, hang on a minute. Some women are born with a penis, would like to keep it and have a blowjob. <laughs> so it's like this evolution of understanding and that's when it then ends like p.s dad shut your eyes now i don't mind giving blowjobs to the, someone i love <laughs> that's pretty funny that's very cute i don't know it's like you just gotta talk about shit right yeah absolutely you know absolutely blowjobs happen sex happens <laughs> blowjobs do happen that is a fact anyway okay we're gonna have fun editing this one <laughs> Well, thank you, Zachary, so much for coming on to the show. Really appreciate you. It's been a wonderful conversation. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. You guys can all follow me pretty much everywhere. Twitter and Instagram are great. I'm Zachary Zane underscore. My website is ZacharyZane.com, and that will link you to pre-order my book. And also I have a digital magazine also called Boy Slut, which publishes nonfiction erotica. So you can go and check that out. But ZacharyZane.com, you can find all my stuff. Perfect. Well, Zachary, thank you so much. Thank you. You too. Talk soon. Take care. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please go to nowwithfiona.com for more information, resources, and ways to help. Big shouts of gratitude to West One Music Group for our fantastic signature tune and to our amazing executive producer, Mindy Raymond. Be happy, remember to love always, and let your lion heart roar.